We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Amen. Do you believe that? Sometimes it takes a little while for your heart to catch up with what you're singing. Let's pause, pray, and um, remind ourselves that he is still good. Father, you are good to us. The greatest display of your love and goodness was that you sent your son Christ. How often we forget him, but how necessary he is for life, for godliness, our daily bread. And so we remember you now. We tell you that you are good and your love endures forever. And Lord, where we are forgetful, would you shore us up? Would you fill us up? And would you remind us? We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Kids, at this time, you are dismissed to go to the Gathering Lights Children's Ministry. Parents, remember to ask them what they learned and how they're growing. Uh, go ahead and open up. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 20 today. And while you're going there and getting things set, um, I have two announcements or two things just to share. Um, one is uh, book, part, book cart related. Um, uh, we have two kids catechisms back there. Uh, if you're not familiar with the word catechism, all it is is a way of teaching that is question and answer oriented. Uh, these are three bucks a piece. The first one is called My First Book of Questions and Answer. The, the purple one is called My First Book of Bible Promises. And uh, this is a great little treasure if you're looking to um, have devotionals with your kids uh, and not quite sure where to start. Um, you can, you know, share the text that we learned today. You can share what you're learning in your quiet time. But this would be maybe more of a systematic approach, um, teaching them um, all um, all the counsel of God's word through question and answer. It's probably like, I don't know, 30 or 40 pages, really easy um, type stuff. Three bucks a piece. Uh, the other book that I'd like to highlight is called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. It's 12 bucks in the back. Uh, there's been a number of, of uh, particularly guys, because our community group has really talked about this a lot, but um, a lot of a lot of folks in the Christian church don't feel comfortable being sad or grieving or lamenting. Um, but that is um, absolutely a part of the Christian life. And so uh, this book teaches you how to suffer and lament well. Um, and uh, it has really helped me 
in my prayer life uh, regarding difficult things in my life and how to pray, not just to be a surfacey Christian and say, jazz hands, everyone get happy, it'll be fine, but to really go to God with my, um, with my laments and my hardships and my challenges and to, um, and to find healing uh, through him. And so this, this is a great book and would love for you to pick it up, read it with someone and enjoy it um, and, and grow in Christ as a result. And the next uh, announcement is um, uh, you have a flyer on your chair and each month we devote just a portion of our service to corporate prayer uh, for things that are happening around the country and around the globe. Um, if you're new here, um, we are a part of a network of churches called the City Movement. City is short for Church in the Y, and uh, we love helping churches um, plant churches and connect churches with the YMCA to make their Y their first platform of ministry to their community. And so um, for us as a local church here in Mainville, Ohio, we uh, schedule a lot of our missions uh, towards the Y and reach out to the 120 or so families connected to this particular Y. We believe it's like a great platform of ministry. Um, but what we're doing today is we're praying for a church that is starting right now, today. Um, so we've, because of your generous giving, because of our devotion and just the grace of God, we have uh, had the chance to help uh, this family, the Doles family, start a church in Miami, Florida today. March 5th is their first time. Um, Trevor Doles is the pastor and they have a core team of 11 people, and they are ripe and hungry to reach people for Christ in their why and the surrounding community. Uh, Trevor, probably right now, is preaching Psalm 130, which is the great passage on waiting for the Lord. And then after that, they're going to start, um, uh, start the study through the book of John, studying the I Am statements. And so... Um, we're going to pause. We're going to pray for them. There's a couple prayer points. And then take this with you. And as you are brushing your teeth this week or driving in the car, you know, you can tuck this in your dash and just be praying for Faith Church Miami that meets in the Miami YMCA. So let's go ahead and just bow our heads and I'll just lead us in a few of these prayer points. We're going to pray for gospel conversations. We're going to pray for open doors. We're going to pray that they would be faithful to God's word, and we're going to pray for this core team, that they would have unity. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the Doles family, that you have chosen them and raised them up to be a salt and light in the city of Miami, Florida. Different than anywhere else in the country, it's a culture in and of itself. And Lord, I pray that this new church, that they would be so fervent about talking with people about the gospel. Lord, would you bring about gospel conversations that they would look to, uh, to look to pray, that they would look to you to open doors, and that they would look to share their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word. And so we're asking that by the faithfulness of this church, 
that the gospel would spread more and more. We're grateful that we get to pray for them and we get to be a part and see. Lord, um, show us even further how we can partner and help this church. We know that you love the church. You sent your son Jesus for her and that you spread your gospel through your church. And so would you bless this church? Lord, for this 11 people, uh, this core team group that is starting, Lord, I pray that they would fix their eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. That they would not be like Peter in the water, looking to the left or the right, comparing or, or facing discouragement. But Lord, that they would look to you, look to worship you, look to obey you. Would you give them great unity? Would you give them the ability to overlook offenses, to forgive one another when they sin against one another? And Lord, above all, to have their hearts set, just like we just sang, to give you alone the glory for you deserve it all. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. What a privilege. What a privilege. Would one of you guys mind shutting the back door? And then we'll go ahead and get started, okay? We are um, we're here. It is Sunday, March 5th. And uh, each of you have come today uh, to hear from God and to be changed, to be transformed by Him. If I said, hey, go ahead and raise your hands if you would like to just uh, have this these next few moments be wrote where uh, nothing changes or happens in your life, it would be like, what? No, 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 I'm hungry. I want, I want to hear from God. I want to hear His Word. And I want God, through His Word and by His Spirit, to minister to me today. I think that's where we're at, isn't it? Prior to starting, I just was just feeling led... Would you ask the Lord for one thing? For one thing. That you would, as you depart from here, that you heard one thing today. Let's just pause. Ask Him for that. Well, let's begin our time. Uh, we are titling today's message, The Choosing Part 2. If you weren't with us last week, you can find it online. But what we're doing is we are going to see today how following Jesus, the Anointed One, it's not always easy, but when we follow Him sometimes, most of the time, it's going to be costly. And today... We're going to see that it's going to be costly as it relates to our family. And I'm not talking about church family. That could be for another uh, day, for another sermon. What I'm talking about is following Jesus often is costly as it relates to your biological family. If you're new here, um, we go through the Bible 
and we read the Bible, we teach it, and we deliver it to God's people. And the main idea of the text is the main idea in which we want you to leave here today. And we're going to hopefully see that today, following Jesus is costly, even when the going gets tough with family. I think this will challenge and encourage each and every person here this morning. Last week, we came off the battlefield. Uh, David stood victorious over Goliath. Um, He was talking to Saul. Jonathan said, that's the guy. I want to follow him. Saul got jealous. Then he got angry. Then he got fearful. And God created. He he started, once again, this track record of proving to his children that he can protect them. But now, this week, the temperature is going to rise a little bit. Uh, My old car guy in Texas used to say, it ain't fudge unless you heat it up. And friends, we're going to heat things up today. And so we're actually, turn the page, we're going to start in chapter 19. Look at me, look with me at verse 4. Jonathan, he's talking to his dad. And essentially, he tells him to settle down. And the reasons that he gives him, um, he gets his desired outcome. Saul's like, okay, I'll listen to you. Look at with me in verse 4. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? What do you think Saul's going to do? Verse 6. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And you leave that text, chapter 19, you're like, great. Well, that was easy, right? Well, Jonathan, he just talked to his dad. And his dad said, okay, I won't kill him. And there's no tension anymore, right? Like problem solved, we're good to go. And then 20 comes around. Look at it with me. I'll read verses 1 to 4. Then David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? Parentheses. I thought we dealt with this. I thought we were good. Something's going on. Verse 2, And he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. He disagrees, okay? But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. 
But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. Church David is trying to convince Jonathan, hey, your dad is trying to kill me. He's going to kill me. And if I don't change things, if, things, if this doesn't end, I'm going to die and it's going to be soon. Jonathan disagrees. So David's like, pushes it a little bit. And essentially says, hey, Jonathan, you chose me. You covenanted with me. And you did that when it was really happy times, right after the battlefield when we were in victory. Things were exciting. It was really nice times. What I'm seeing is that it's not going to be very soon. Will you continue to choose me? Will you stick with me? Will your covenant stay loyal to me even if your dad gets nasty? It's going to be tough. It's going to be costly. And so David pitches out this plan, okay? I'm just going to tell it to you. It's a big chapter. It goes like this. Uh, hey, Jonathan, how about we do this to test where Saul's at? How about we have a dinner, okay? And um, how about I don't show up? Let's make up a reason. Tell him I'm in Bethlehem. And if he gets upset that I'm not there, then we'll know that he is mad and he's coming after me. Sound good, Jonathan? All right, let's do it. But here's the deal. You need to know, if things go south with your dad, I'm trusting you that you're going to stay loyal to me. It's going to be costly. Are you going to hang with me? And so, in essence, my car guy was right. Like, Jonathan is in the oven. Things are heating up. Is he the real deal? Is he the fudge? And so that's why we're continuing to call it the choosing. Because the applications that we're continually seeing is, will we choose the anointed one? Jesus Christ. Over biological family when necessary. So what do you think? What do you think Jonathan is going to do? Is he going to follow David? Is he going to follow Saul? The big decision in, is in this text. Maybe Jonathan is thinking this. This is me just entering into Jonathan's mind. Maybe if I just talk to him like I did last time in chapter 19, I'll just go to him and things will work out. It did last time and, and things will be fine. And then I don't have to have this feeling of being pulled either way. I can like live in both worlds. It seemed to work. I could just ask him, hey, why are you trying to kill David? Don't do that. He listened to me. He stopped last time. It'll be easy. Boom. No one will get mad at David. No one will get mad at me. It'd be fine. I hope it works out like that. But at the end of the day, when you choose to follow the anointed, at the end of the day, you have to make a decision. The plan David laid before him, before Jonathan, essentially said, if you pledge your allegiance to one person or one party, 
you're saying I am not going to be loyal to the other party anymore when it when the push comes to shove. When you're casting your lots with one party, you're saying I disagree with the other way. So what would you do? Would you would you follow the anointed one? Would you follow David? Would you cast off all fame, power, recognition, money, comfort, the palace to follow David? <laughs> no money in that. It's hard. Like, does he even have a place to lay his head? Where is he living? It's tough. Well, let's see what Jonathan does by looking at verse 17. After some dialogue with David, we see kind of the summation of Jonathan's response. The decision is made. Look at 17. It says, Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. And so there, there we go. There's this renewal of vows that happens. Jonathan chooses in word the anointed king. This is him walking by faith. This is this is him weighing the situation and going, this is what I see with my own eyes. I'm choosing to, to follow what is unseen. Because what is unseen is eternal and what is seen is temporary. He's making his, uh, his decision just using language of 1 Samuel. He's making his decision not based on physical appearance, but he's looking at the heart once again. And he's basically saying, following David is the better option. It's worth it. It's better for me eternally. It's better for the kingdom. It's, it's better. God, I'm following you. I'm choosing David. And of course, his love is not just mere words. It's followed through with action. And so Jonathan follows David's plan to the T. And here we go. This is the this is the dinner scene that's 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 coming along to us, okay? The first night of the feast was before them, and Saul sits in his spot, Jonathan sits in his spot, and uh, Abner's there as well, and the king basically says, "Hey, where's David?" And um Saul kind of reacts casually the first night and goes, "Well, he must be unclean. So I guess no David tonight. Um, must be an accident, but uh, whatever. The next day, they're in the supper scene again. Different reaction altogether. Let your eyes find it. Verse 27. But the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table. All right, now everyone lift up your eyes. All right, don't peek ahead. Okay, don't read ahead. This is kind of the, the crest of our passage today. David 
in the beginning of this chapter is convinced that Saul is angry at him, that he's out to get him. Jonathan, not convinced. And so this test gets put, put to action and it is revealed right here. Now before you look, remember this whole book is about taking Saul out of the kingdom, taking him away from his throne, and putting David in the throne. Putting him, the, his man, his way, and his timing. God's building his kingdom and his ways. And so there's going to be, along the way, heart shifts. There's going to be loyalty changes. Oh, I was following that. Now this... Okay, I'm going to follow, and I can't follow... That's what's happening. And so the question is, to whom does Saul's anger burn against? Don't look. Who do you think it is? Watch this. Verse 30. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan! Isn't that wild? What? Like, Jonathan, I thought... I thought that this whole passage was about David and like becoming friends and a friendship passage, right? But like after you read it once and twice and three times, you realize, oh, Jonathan is straight in the middle of this passage. You see Saul's reaction and you're like, oh, I see what is happening here. The writer put Jonathan right in the middle. And his character is involved in every scene in this passage. He's caught right in the middle. And Jonathan has to make the decision. And dad's fury unleashes against him. Watch what Saul says. Verse 30, And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse over your own shame and the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Therefore, now send and bring him to me, for he must surely die. You think I'm getting the tone? Maybe it was amped up even more, but I just don't want to spook you, okay? Watch how Jonathan responds. This is so... This is amazing. But Jonathan answered to Saul for his father and said to him, why should he be put to death? What has he done? That's a gentle answer. Turns away wrath, right? Yeah. Then Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him down. So Jonathan knew that his father had decided to put David to death. Then Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and did not eat food on the second day of the new moon for he was grieved over David because his father had dishonored him. Right there. There it is. Jonathan lost everything. Can you imagine? But look at Jonathan's beautiful response. He wasn't grieved over his loss. Oh, woe is me. Oh, this is, I'm so struck. He was grieved that his dad was mad. He was grieved that he was against David. He was grieved that the anointed one was being dishonored. And the rest of the chapter just continues where Jonathan and David meet up. They remember their promises to each other. They remember their, the faithfulness of God. And they just weep together over the situation. 
So, there's our chapter. Right? You come in here and you're like, all right, Newman, why the Old Testament? Why 1 Samuel? Right? Like, why David and Jonathan and Saul? Like, what about today? Come on. Like, get to the point. Okay? Well, let's, let's slowly get there, okay? Last week, we learned about the Anointed One. We learned that when we read the text from 1 Samuel, that David, the Anointed One, um, we can take it and ask the question, or we can say that Christ is ultimately the Anointed One. So David, contextually, Christ ultimately, we can ask the question, hey, if Jonathan is following the Anointed One, how can we follow and choose the Anointed One, Jesus Christ? It's a really clean just transition to say, hey, will you follow the Anointed One? Will you choose when the going gets tough, when it's difficult with family? That's the message that, that is being worked into our lives. Did, would Jesus agree with that interpretation? Or would He, would he agree with what Jonathan did? Would He say to His followers... I want you to follow me. I want you to choose me. But when it comes to family, when it gets tough with family, was that Jesus' tone? Right down in the margin, Luke 9, 23. Let me read it for us. And He, this is Jesus, was saying to them all, the disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Oh, yeah, that's, that's principally though. But, but as it relates to family, what does that look like? Matthew 10, 37. He who loves his father or his mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Church, sometimes even family will not be with you when it comes to this one, following Jesus. You can't serve two masters. You can't live two lives and follow two paths. One path, one master, one person. I, I hope and pray that today's message is, is clear and that you are Jonathan. That's you. Like you're Jonathan, God's chosen one, Jesus is David in this text. And Saul, Saul, we could say generically, he's just for you, he's something else in your life. Like Saul is the chief circumstance or this or the situation or the relationship that is whatever it is, it's competing for your affections and your heart towards Christ Jesus. And you must choose. The common understanding of choosing to live for Christ goes much like this, okay? 
hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus with my life. Therefore, equals, if it comes to a moment in time, a decision in the future where I have to die for Him, I will take that bullet. If a guy has a sword on my neck and he's saying, renounce Christ, I won't do it. And let me just say, yes, that is commendable. Let's die for Jesus. And I think when we all came to Christ, we gave Him our life and we said, I'm willing to die for Him. But church, I think Jesus asks more of us than to choose a moment in time and say, I'll die for you. Just like when a husband and wife vow to each other, the husband essentially says, hey, if we're walking down the road and if a semi's coming, I will push you out of the way and I will take it. I'll step in front of that bus. I'll get hit by the semi. I love you so much. I will, I'll die for you. Right? But what a wife wants to hear and what Christ is asking us is this. I love you so much. I will live for you every day. Moment by moment, I will, I will die daily for you because of my love and my heart's affections for you. You are the love of my life. I'll, I'll frame it differently. I'm not just going to one day choose to die for you. I'm going to continuously choose to live for you. Friends, are you willing to live for Jesus? To continually choose Him over loving the things of this world? The text today centers upon or brings an emphasis to choosing Christ over biological blood. Pause. This doesn't mean totally disregard your family. This doesn't mean totally disrespect your family. This does mean, though, when it comes to the point of obeying or disobeying, you choose to obey for the glory of God and trust Him with the results. Let me just say this. Um, uh, Hannah and I, our family, we have been with you now for four and a half years. Um, and we have sat with you. We've, we've had coffee with you. We've had dinners with you in your home. And we are so encouraged of the life that you have lived for Jesus Christ. And how, by your stories, you have not died on the altar of biological family. You have not sacrificed your um, biological family as an idol. You guys love the Lord and you've walked with Him through difficult times. We have heard of your great faith when you've shared Christ with your unbelieving parents. You risked shame and rejection even in your own family. And your brothers and sisters just said, you said what? Do you know what that means? What? How could... Ugh. You've risked it for Christ. You've treasured Jesus. You've valued Him more 
than being mocked and ridiculed in your own family. We have heard your deepest desires of family being unmet. I just, I just want to get along. I just want to have them over for Thanksgiving. I just, why? And they won't because of Christ. We've seen you stand strong with gentleness, yet a firm resolve to say, we love you so much. But you need to know that we can't go to your wedding because we, we can't support it. But we'll be there before serving. We'll be there after. But we can't go out of a good conscience because we serve the Lord. And His Word tells us what a marriage is and what it is not. We've seen you cherish Jesus. Hannah and I, uh, we've been married uh, this summer for 20 years. And um, which means when we got married, we, we went right into the ministry. And I know anyone who is a believer is in the ministry, um, but we went vocationally into the ministry. So when I say we've been in, in the ministry for 20 years, that's what I mean. And so for the last 20 years, we've also seen people choose poorly. And it doesn't happen all in a moment. This one day when I get the chance, I'll either reject or deny him. It does happen sometimes like that. But more often than not, in our personal experience, it has happened very quietly, very silently, very slowly. People drift away, decision by decision, little by little, away from honoring the Lord with their life. Not in a moment, but little by little, decision by decision. What am I saying? I'm saying that I have seen, my wife and I have seen the parable of the soils be actually real. Soils one and two and three be actual indications of the soils of people's hearts. And, I, and this is a part of pastoring, not just sharing the positive examples, but to share the soils as a warning for God's people too. And not just say, oh, that's just out there. But to equip you in discernment, in the ministry as we're farming the field. I've seen people, soil number two, sprout up with joy, as it says in Mark 4. And as soon as the sun comes, suffering and persecution, they wilt away. And you're like, what did I do wrong? Oh, maybe I said something. Maybe we should have chosen a different song in the worship set. That would have got them. Or maybe it was because the sound bleeped a little bit and they got mad at church and now they're something. Right? Or maybe the slides were off. If we would have done everything right, then they wouldn't have wilted. Now, Jesus said, there's going to be some that receive the word and they sprout up quickly with joy and they wither away. Was Jesus lying to us? 
No, it actually happens. The last 20 years, I've seen soil number three happen so much. Let me read it for you. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. I've seen this. I was just talking to a guy last week at the Y. Hey man, how you doing? My name's this. Yeah. What do you do? Oh, I'm a, I'm an investor. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, I don't go to church anymore. I bought a camper. <laughs> Are campers sinful? No, they're not. Don't hear me. Are boats sinful? No. But the temptation is great to buy a camper and take off and be totally disconnected from your local church. To buy a boat, you're out there late Saturday night, well, you know what, let's just, let's just stay the night out here. Let's just dock it and stay. And it's so tempting to not choose the anointed one and reject Jesus. And be choked out. Friends, let soil number two and three be a warning to us. James says in chapter one, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trials, for he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Remain steadfast, church. We have seen people in this church remain steadfast and choose Christ continually, all the time, decision by decision, by not just saying, oh, I'll die for him one day, but by living for him in the moment, every day. I've seen you. I've seen you guys pray for your grandchildren and stand fast on their behalf. I have seen you say yes. Not just six days a week to Christ. But I've seen you say yes on Sundays to Him. When your family schedules a birthday party for 10 a.m. Why? Why? It's a test. It's a test. They could have scheduled it any night of the week. Friday night. They could have scheduled it all day Saturday. They scheduled it on Sunday at 10 a.m. And your loyalties are tested. And I've seen you say with a smile, super gentle, super gracious, oh, that's okay. That's okay. Hey, we'll be there for lunch. We'll be there after. But, but as for me and my house, we'll worship the Lord. And you've come across gentle and not like judgmental or, oh, how could you do that? You graciously respond and you come a little bit later and you miss out on the birthday party. But by your absence at the birthday party, you witness to them about your love for the anointed one, Jesus Christ. We've seen you say yes six days a week to games. But then the seventh you say, you know what? I, I know, coach, you're going to be disappointed, but we're going to stay. Grandparents, we've seen you say no to games. To go, you know what? Um, there'll be other ones. There'll be others. We'll come. We say yes. 
but just not to the 10 a.m. one. But we'll be there to the other ones. You guys have done a great job. I want to encourage you to stand strong, be rooted deeply, and built up for Jesus Christ and how to live for Him. We are so encouraged in your love for God and how you've chosen the Anointed One with your life. And when you do, you are continuing to establish His kingdom here on earth. Would you just take your eyes and find verse 31 with me real quick? Watch when Saul was at the height of his anger. This is what oftentimes um, narrators do, how they include things. Um, they use irony. And oftentimes the bad guys say exactly the right things. <laughs> they say what you need to hear. Watch what Saul says. He says, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither will you nor your kingdom will be established. Right? She's angry. And if Jesus was in the room, he would be like this. Well, yeah! Of course! That's what I want my followers to want. We don't want Jonathan to be king. We don't want Jonathan's kingdom to be established. We don't want Emily's kingdom or Carrie's kingdom or Josh's kingdom. We want the glory of the Lord's kingdom to be established here on earth. We want to see Jesus. And so when you choose Christ, when you seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you, you're building His kingdom, not yours. His name, not yours. It's beautiful. It's hard. Amen? God will equip you. He has. He's done it. He'll do it again. Jonathan was losing his life. And in losing it, he found it. And he gained eternity. Matthew 19.29 says it like this. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Summary. Jonathan chose the anointed one. He chose him over the comforts of the palace, his earthly inheritance, over pain, despite the shame. Why? David was worth it. And so the question before us, the decision before us, is essentially the same. Is Christ worth it to you? Is he worth it? Jesus certainly thought you were worth it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, so much so that he bought you with a price on the cross for your sins. Let's pray. Father,
where I have overspoken, cover my gaps. Where I've underspoken, fill them. Let the message of today be clear. We want to follow you even when the going gets tough. Especially when the going gets tough. We don't want to be people of just words, but of actions. Lord, You told us if we lack wisdom, we have to just ask. Without doubting, because the one who doubts will be like a wave that is driven out to sea and tossed like a wave. Lord, we are asking for wisdom on how to follow You and navigate our biological families. Would You help us? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.